Hello and welcome to Secret Oranges, the podcast where Florida Man reveals the secret origins of comic book fans from around the world, why they collect, what they collect, and what they think of the state of the hobby today. I am your host, Glenn. Thank you for joining me on this. Uh, this is a good one. Not that the other ones haven't been good, but this 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 is a good one. I really think you're going to enjoy it. This is our thunderous third issue of uh, of Secret Oranges, and I really I th- I think you're going to dig this one. Uh, my guest uh, this week uh, has some pretty deep knowledge, and it, it's it's a lot of fun. I really think you're going to dig it. But before we do that, real quick, just want to let you know how you can reach out to me if you'd like to. You can reach me via email at secretorangesfl at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at secretoranges1. And I'm on Instagram at secret underscore oranges. You have an idea for a show, maybe a a special edition, like one of those one shots. Uh, If you'd like to be on the show, make book recommendations, anything you'd like to do, go ahead and reach out. Also would love to see you. Uh, leave a five-star review on iTunes if you are so inclined. Uh, I've gotten two now, and I'm super, super appreciative of that. Uh, and if you're using iTunes, I'd, I'd, I'd appreciate it greatly. Of course, I'm also available on Spotify, Downcast, Anchor, and plenty of other places where you can find your quality podcasts or find podcasts like mine. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get straight into our interview. Hang on to your hats. All right. Uh, with me right now, I have Chris. Chris, good evening. How are you, sir? Glenn, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, sir. Absolutely. And thank you for uh, for joining us. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right into this. And I want to know your origin story. How did you get into comics? Where did it all begin? Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think, and probably any story that involves people that had older siblings, a lot of times they kind of help shape at least your initial uh, exposures to like the comic medium. But really my first uh, exposure to like comic book characters really didn't come from books themselves. It came from like Saturday morning cartoons. I remember sure. uh, Spider-Man is amazing friends and the incredible Hulk was like a lot of times packages like one hour. I remember right. my brother, who's, my brother's about three and a half years older than me. So I remember uh, like I, I was waiting for like, the Smurfs or something to come on, but he was really intent on these, on these cartoons um and they left a mark because if i hear that little that little that little jazz stinger of the opening for like the <laughs> uh for the spider-man cartoon that it's it's <laughs> like that yeah I, I know what that is it's so funny how much like music cues and things like that kind of oh sure have it sure. but really it between between the cartoon and um uh, oddly enough, like color forms. Uh, I remember color forms very distinctly, especially DC superhero color forms. And again, I'm dating myself uh, when I say this. For there's a portion of the audience that's not going to know what we're talking about. Yeah, sure, forms were, that's uh, okay. It's for us. They were little, like they were like little plastic, little laminate sheets that you would color. Um, in this case, like Batman or whatever, or Robin or the Joker, and uh, and you cut them out, and then you had to get your parents to put them on a baking sheet. And the plastic shrunk down to a hard chip that we yeah, used to like charm. Little, yeah, charms, eyelets. I remember we put them on like ba- book bags and mm-hmm. like your shoes because we didn't have the internet, folks. We had to entertain ourselves somehow. Back right. Then. So, so fast forward a little bit. Um, 
to tell you a little about my, my story and how it relates to comics in particular. Um, my parents split up. I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's where I spent the first couple of years of my life. And I kind of bounced back and forth. My parents split up when I was about seven. And so my mother had family members who lived in uh, southern West Virginia, in, out, just outside Huntington, um, which is on the, near the Ohio River. If people are sports fans listening to this, they might know um, Marshall University. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's what's located at. So go herd. Um, <laughs> but I had to say that I, my master's degree is from there. So I have to give them, I have to give them a lot of credit. Sure. So they let me in. So there speaks, you go. <laughs> probably speaks worse to them. Actually, I probably <laughs> should keep my mouth shut. But, um, so we moved to Southern West, West Virginia from, from Philadelphia. It was kind of, and obviously there was culture shock, even for a younger kid. But we lived in, um, I guess what you could best describe is like a housing development kind of, I guess a nice way of saying a housing project. It was a government funded subsidized uh, like uh, area. And they, in this area, they had like flea market kind of yard sales around once or twice a year. Where people would bring out things they wanted to get rid of and they'd set up a little table in the front yard and everyone kind of, you know, trade things back and forth like a swap meet almost. And we hadn't lived there for very long. This is 1987, I'd say. And so I'm just walking around, I'm eight years old, and I, I you know, you, you, I have a couple dollars in my pocket, and I come to a table, and, it, and this, this milk crate, of all things, catches my eye, and it is full of comic books. And in this case, uh, they were mostly DC comic books. I guess the, 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 the person who owned the books was probably 15, 16, 17, was probably growing out of the hobby, at least initially, or what have you, which is probably going to be a theme uh, of, of stories of this nature. Mm-hmm. You know, someone grows out of the hobby and someone grows into the hobby. Yep. Um, and I was, I was, I was drawn to it. I didn't recognize most of the characters that I saw, uh, to give an idea of what this would be. So this was 87. So these books were probably 84, 85, 86. So, and they were mostly DCs. So you're looking at lots of pre-crisis and crisis stuff and then going into post-crisis. Um, and I was just, I was just gobsmacked. Uh, sure. I, I couldn't take my eyes away from it. And, you know, I had probably been looking for toys or something like that, GI Joes or what have you. But my focus now was on this milk crate. I had to see more. And I guess the kid's mom was manning the table and she's like, uh, uh, she's like, they're like 20 cents, 25 cents or whatever. I can't remember the price. And I said, uh, uh, and she's like, how many do you want? And I said, something effect, like, how many can I get? <laughs> You know, sure. And I, I had like four or five bucks. She's like, "I'll just like, just take the crate." And so my eyes were probably wow. the size of like like soda bottles, and and my jaw was on the floor. And I lugged this giant milk crate, this big blue. Uh, I can't remember the name of the milk crate. This doesn't matter, I guess. But this big milk crate back to my back to our house, and my comic comic reading life was was born. <laughs> and I still remember some of the books in there. I, in fact. The, one of the books that caught my eye earliest, it was near the top, and I don't know why, was a copy of Blue Beetle Number Two. This was the the relaunch, not the Charleston books, but the DC. Sure. The I guess the post crisis yep. yep. uh, launch. Uh, Len Wein and, and and Paris Cullens. And if you've seen Paris Cullens' artwork, um, especially back then, he had. I guess he was. I think he was in the military. He had he had um, been exposed to manga in like the, I guess the seventies and early eighties when he, when he was in the service and he brought that a lot into his Western artwork. And so it looked even from the other books in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the crate, 
it had this different kind of dynamic feel to it. And mm-hmm. I, my eyes just snapped to it. And it's a weird character to kind of say, what's your first comic book character you really fell in love with? It was Ted Cord. I mean, who, who knew? Um, but, uh, and there was a bunch of books in there. The uh, All-Star Squadron was in there. I remember that. Infinity Inc., which was interesting. So uh, I can thank Roy Thomas for my addiction in some ways, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of us can thank Roy Thomas for our addictions, as prolific as he's been, that's for sure. That and the fact that our, our probably our predilections with, uh, with continuity. Thanks, Roy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll do a whole. We'll do a whole ten-page uh, uh, comic book storyline to fix the continuity error from nineteen forty-three. Sure, why not? Yeah, um, and it, it and it'll be good. Yes. <laughs> not, not that yes. it'll be bad, but it'll be good. That's the kicker. Um, You'll be like, "Wow, that was so good." But um, uh, so there's a lot. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of crisis and post-crisis like uh, stuff in there. Um, well, you sure did hit DC at a sweet spot because that was. Oh. When when they were starting to kind of sunset and, and shutter all all of those books in preparation for crisis, and even the crisis crossovers, and then when they rebooted everything, boy oh boy, yeah, that was great stuff. Yeah, you could tell. It's 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 like any. I think you know the comic book industry is probably like any other other business when you can tell they have something brewing, and there's creativity brewing, and then there's you know you can you can manufacture events and things but when there's something there's a groundswell and people really want to it's 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 competitive i imagine because going back and forth in those books you'd read okay this is what what len ween's doing here this is what um eventually what john burns doing with superman here's here's what steve englehart he's gonna he wants to throw his fastball on on green lantern core here's you know all these you know john ostrander with with books uh, you know which we can talk about a little bit who was just a tremendous writer. Um, everyone's just throwing heat, throwing heat, throwing heat, you know? And so my mind was blown. Now, the books are probably a little bit old for me. Some, some of them did kind of skew a little older, but um, uh, I, was, I, was, I was hooked in. I was, I was locked in. I then went, uh, again, dating myself, the 7-Eleven down the street had a spinner rack. And so I looked at these books and I said, I have to get more. I have to, I have to see more. I need more. There has to be more. Cause that's how addictions work. Yep. You get a little bit, then you have to find more. So there was a spinner racket at, at the Seven Eleven, and the first comic book that I actually bought, you know, purchased, uh, over the counter as it were was blue beetle. I think it was 16, which is oddly enough, a Ross Andrew fill in. And again, I lose my comic book fan cred by saying that, Eight-year-old me thought Ross Andrews pencils were not very good. Uh, um, I, it's a it's it's a sin, I know, and I apologize for it. But um, okay, this is kind of bland. Um, but it didn't it didn't tamper my enthusiasm whatsoever. I was hooked. This was uh, you know if I had a, if there was newsprint in front of me with cut with with four colors, it you know I was I was locked in a hundred percent. So, but DC really was what got you going. So has that always been the case from that point forward? Have you always just leaned in that direction or have you broadened your horizons? Well, it's, it's funny. I, I, I know we're going to talk about that. And, and so I, I kind of reflected a little bit because now if you ask me to pick out like trades for somebody or books that I think that are, are, are really great or storylines that I latch onto, it's mostly Marvel. Um, I, my initial comic book phase ran from about age eight to a, probably about age 13 or, or, or so 14. Um, we moved a lot as a kid. And at some point I had that milk crate became, 
you know, the equivalent of like three or four or five milk crates. And it just became kind of unwieldy to carry around. And so it was mostly DC though, back then I remember, um, the, my early reading was, was a lot of DC. And then, um, I got access to, there was a, uh, like a fruit pharmacy in, in, in my neighborhood that was closing. I guess it, it was getting rid of its spinner rack. And I guess back then the return policy, I think, I think later became, you had to cut the covers off of books and ship them back to the, to the, to the publisher to get your credit back. Mm-hmm. But, but back then, sometimes that policy, depending on what the publisher, what the printing company wanted, some of the, this, you had to just eat the, eat the books. You got so many shipped to you, um, you ate them. And so they had a big sale. I remember one day they had this big, like, uh, like poker table near aisle five or whatever, which just stacks of comics with a cardboard saying 25 or 50 cents each. And this was back when books cost 75 cents to a dollar. Mm. Um, and I sna- and, and that's when I snapped a bunch of, uh, um, my, my really probably my, one of my biggest loves in comics now to this day, which is the lots of the, the uh, Roger Stern, uh, John, uh, John Buscema, Tom Palmer Avengers run, the late two seventies into the two eighties, so pretty much after the Under Siege storyline. But in that in that period, and I was like, oh wow, this is superhero comics. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I was got that exposure too in this in this one year period, um, and yeah, I was I was straight hooked. But no, I, I definitely. As I've gotten older, um, Marvel books tend to I tend to gravitate a little more towards Marvel universe style storytelling, and I, it's funny because it, now now I'm a parent and my children are just about the same age as I started reading comics, and I notice they almost generally gravitate more towards the DC heroes. I don't know if there is. I think there's something about the the mythology of the DC brand where the characters are so big and bold and you know what I mean? Like, and kind of larger than life. I, yes. I think they, they relate more. I'm not saying they're juvenile because we could sit here and go back and forth on stories from the eighties, from the seventies uh-huh. up to today and say, as DC used to say themselves, these comics aren't for kids. Right. Uh, but um, there's something very primary and, and bold about Superman and, and Green Lantern and, and Flash and Wonder Woman and things like that. Well, I, you know, um, I I definitely think that with DC, it's definitely the well. I'm they they trade on it where their heroes are worshipped by by the the mortals in the DC universe. Where in most cases, whereas in the Marvel universe, they're much more grounded, and a lot of those characters are not particularly liked by the general population. And I think that there's a a, a little more mature if you can call it, I, maybe that's the wrong word, but I think there's a little more maybe subtext going on as far as obviously with like the X-Men and things of that nature, where I think there's a little, it's a little more complicated where I think DC is just, wow, it's just these big, bold, crazy characters, as you say, and they're doing all these wonderful things and they don't tend to have that relationship with the general populace so much. I mean, Everyone loves Superman. Everybody loves Wonder Woman. Everybody thinks Green Lantern's cool. And it, it, yeah, I think there's definitely a different vibe. And that's been like that, I think, right from the get go. Yeah, I think, I think, what was it? I think it was the, the, the JLA Avengers crossover. I think Kurt Busick, they, they, he, he kind of played that. There was this, there's a scene where I think that here the teams are on the, the, the other yes. characters, yes. Earth. 
and and they're they're like looking around going, this is very strange and and quicksilver bursts in and goes look their speedster has an entire museum <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just, i remember that to the line of my day like going yeah they're not used to this at all and then and they kind of play with that in the storyline but i think there is a little bit there's i think there's a little bit more i hate to say hope because that sounds so cheesy but there's a very hopeful whimsical nature i think at the heart of dc characters um they're 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 almost mythology whereas marvel almost falls into like parable it's it's their the the their characters uh, and stan and, and and jack kind of designed them that way they're they're almost built by their foibles and then oh yeah and they're defined they're, they're, by they're, them, sure yeah their obstacles are literally their their narrative whereas mm-hmm. you know what obstacle does superman have other than we can make up rocks that hurt him uh, right. You know, right you know or Green Lanterns can do anything. If if you're not yellow, you're 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 toast. You know, but <laughs> yeah. Spider Man gets a cold. You know, yep. uh, Captain America has self doubt. You know, it's these things that you know as a kid and and, and as you become an adult, you're like, yeah, trust me, I got self doubt too, Cap. I I, I feel you exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think you do. You, well, I think in a way, obviously, with kids, I mean, you look at so many uh, characters from from the Marvel side of the table that kids could relate to in early days, uh, starting with Spider-Man. But then you had, if you go into the Bronze Age, you had Nova, and then you you know, you know can go up into Speedball. And there's so many different characters that kids could say, wow, this is me. But I don't ever remember seeing that too much in DC. Maybe Firestorm when he came out. But I really don't know if there's anybody else. Well, you can really tell. I mean, you obviously the 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 pollination of you know especially when when i guess uh, the 70s went when when stands took a step back and you had more like eventually roy thomas who grew out of just writing like stanley and he he kind of forged his own kind of style and you, you could tell as those writers started moving over into dc like your len weens your 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 jerry conways that kind of um that kind of storytelling sort of take root in characters. You had, you know, a, a more grounded Batman by, by Denny O'Neill. You had, as you mentioned, Firestorm who had these, who could again, transmute things into anything he wanted to, but had tests and finals and sure. fights with his girlfriend and things like that. Um, you had that kind of DC or Marvelification, I guess of, and, you know, scholars and things have written about this before. So we're not, trampling anything unknown here but you had that kind of marvelification of, of the dc characters and you know some of it worked very well some of it to me is is kind of lead balloonish though i mean there's only so much you know to me like spider-man having issues and things like that is one thing his character's kind of defined by that but if you put those same weights on on a green lantern who has who has the power to destroy a planet with this power ring. I don't want him being depressed. You know, I don't want to read about that. I don't want to read about Superman having a sad day. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate as much really. I, in my opinion, but the, obviously those books that came out of that kind of cross pollinization, obviously the, the, the industry just grew and grew and grew. So something definitely clicked. No, absolutely. Um, all right. So getting back to your, your path, um, we got a little bit derailed there, but I want to kind of stick to, to your path and, you know, obviously, you're you're 
you know your stuff and, and you, you kind of know your history and it sounds like you've, you've studied up on that, but have you always been consistently in the hobby or have life events and other things kind of taken you in and out? You said your, your first wave was eight to 13. So yeah, yeah. 13, 14, it became an issue. Well, I, I never really had a ton of money that to, to buy things. And so again, back then before the, you know, um, the direct market, really, you kind of were at the mercy of what you could, A, if you had money, and B, if you're, if wherever you got your books from were there. So, you know, if I was wanting to pick up G.I. Joe or something like that, you know, they might have issue 57, but not, you might not see it again until eight, issue 60. Mm-hmm. So, you know, collecting became kind of very sporadic for me, but um, I just kind of grew out of the hobby. I, I wasn't as interested in it. Um, Price definitely, though, I remember even back then was an issue. I was like, okay, it's a dollar. That's getting kind of steep. Okay, I can justify that. Dollar 25, okay, now that's getting kind of, that's, that might be too much. I remember that being like a big sticking point. Man, going, these are getting expensive and I'm not having as much fun with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I kind of paid it forward. I gave them to a kid down the street who lived, who lived down the street for me, who was probably the age I was when I started reading. So here, here you go, buddy. Hopefully pass them on when you're done. As I said, I said, when you're done with these, just pass them on to somebody else. That's the only condition. I'm not, I'll give them to you for free. Just make sure they, they go down the line. So, right. <laughs> as it were. But, um, I, I dip, I, I would dip in occasionally in my teen years. I would kind of like, if I, you know, went to a, you know, Walden books or a borders, I'd kind of dip over and see what kind of books were, uh, on the shelves or what heroes were popular. And, um, obviously at that point we're looking at the, mid nineties. And so things are getting very imageified and that, that whole era of comics didn't really resonate with me at all. So I didn't really, it didn't really kind of suck me back in. Now, when I went to college, I did dip back into comics and that, a couple of things helped that a, I was in a college town that had a comic book shop and that obviously access is a big thing, but you also start meeting people from different walks of life and you find out, Oh yeah, you're a fan of this because when I was growing up, I didn't really know any other fans. Um, I didn't talk to anybody who was really uh, into comics. I remember once I went to uh, like a summer camp and I met a kid there who was, who was into comics. And it was like, it was this, like, it was very clandestine. He's, uh, you know, it somehow came out. It's like, I like comics. You like comics? I'm like, yes, I do. Do you want to talk about them? That'd <laughs> <laughs> be the greatest thing ever. Um, it sounds kind of like tawdry now, but it's, and, and it was kind of, it was, it was whispers. You wouldn't shout it out at the, at the softball field or the baseball field, but like you'd kind of whisper in the, in the dugout, like, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the X-Men. I, I never read that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember he had, he had brought some books with him. And so I, I had some like commissary money for like the, at, for the, for the camp. And I had spent, I gave him like five bucks for a couple issues of, uh, or a couple bucks for a couple issues of uh, the, the handbook to the Marvel universe. If you remember when they, when they used to publish those. Yeah. And let me tell you, if you're, if you know a little bit about history and you get, you crack one of those things open, it's just like every hero and character imaginable from like H through J. (laughs) You're just, okay, give it to me. I'll take all the information you can. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I guess DC had those two, I think, uh, who's who's, I think they they published or whatever, Mm -hmm. but those were just, and I don't even know if they still do that or if kids even care about that stuff. But I know, I know kids still love minutiae. As a parent, I know kids love minutiae things. Absolutely. That's probably why I devoured them. Um, but yeah, but really kind of dipped in and out until, until college. And then talking to people there, at, at, you know, and, and kind of getting to know, you know, there being a local comic book shop. And 
this was again like this is the era of again Busek and Perez on on uh, on the Avengers, and you had the book that got me back into buying things off a new off the off, at, at, like having a pull list was Christopher Priest's uh, Black Panther, mm-hmm. which was just fantastic. And I remember I picked it up during um, the Enemy of the State two storyline. I'm I just looking th- through the shelves, and um, I want to say Sal Valudo's pencils. It's it was like a cover with. Wolverine attacking Iron Man with Panther on the cover. I'm going like, that's intriguing. <laughs> and just and reading the opening the first page and, and if if people are familiar with, with Priest's style of writing, um, lots of stories that start in medias rest, you know, right in the middle of things and very like really whip smart and not talking down to you and just firing lots of information, lots of big concepts. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Um and so obviously when you know, fast forward when like the movie came out and everything, and so much of the concepts in that movie were things that that Priest had developed in that series. I was like, "This is this is fantastic." So that was that was such an amazing kind of moment to see that kind of stuff realized on the big screen. Sure, but um, uh, so dipped in a little bit and kind of had kind of pull list for a while. I remember um, again, uh, Black Panther was something I read a lot of. I, um, the 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 Johns and Goyer run on a. JSA uh-huh. was something that I kind of like that was really kind of a neat because um, again I, I remember a lot of these characters from like the, from Infinity Inc or or the All Star Squad sure. so so seeing that kind of portrayed in a in a new style was was very interesting and a lot of those early early uh, runs and arcs in that book were really really neat comic stories um, honestly though but that was kind of where I kind of lost a little bit of of the juice again. But there, I mean, obviously money was an issue. I was working and everything. I had a job. And so it wasn't necessarily the price point. It was just kind of the fact that you'd buy a comic and you'd get a third of the story. And that's okay. Okay. So it continues next issue. You get the next issue. And it continues for five more issues. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. But when you have, if I was 12 or 11 and that's all I was focused on, that'd be great. But you have a job and you have all these obligations and things like that. And by the time I get to the next issue, I've forgotten what happened in the previous issue. Sure. And I've got to go back and try to figure out what's going on. But yep. so um, I've really not been um, into as much modern stuff as I, from either, from either Marvel or DC really uh, in the, in the last like 10, 15 years, sadly. So, so no new books, nothing new off the, off the rack for you at this point. Not, not, not particularly. I think I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep an eye. I, what I do now when I do like, obviously before, before COVID, I would like to go to like, you know, you know, comic conventions or, or, or flea markets and look for back issues. Now I kind of go back and the new things for me are books that I wanted to read when I was younger and kind of going back and finding those, gotcha. you know, either find them in trades or, or sampling new series or, you know, going through dollar bins somewhere and going, Oh, I never read Manhunter before by Austin. Let's try that. Let's get, pick a couple issues of that out or, or let's try something else. Or um, I recently went on a, 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 about a year ago, I went on a kind of a binge and started ordering. I noticed they had started, they repackaged uh, suicide squad in, um, the original Ostrander run and like in new trades, they kind of capitalize on the movie and wow, those are fantastic uh-huh. and they hold up to this day. Yeah. Um, so now my, my new shopping is, is kind of classic shopping 
from that kind of sweet spot of, uh, of an era. Well, and, and that actually makes a lot of sense because depending on how you shop, especially if you're not someone who just likes to throw their cash around, you can shop on a budget. And this is something that I've been doing for a couple of years now is that I, I, I don't buy anything off the rack new anymore um, with, the, with very few exceptions. But everything I've done is dollar boxes, 50 cent boxes, 50% off sales, things of that nature. And I've gotten books that have come out within the last year instead of paying $4 for the cover price, you know, paying, paying a dollar for it. The trade paperback route is great, but so much of what I've been doing, just as you said, is I've been going backwards in time. I'm looking for mm-hmm. small press stuff from the eighties and nineties. Oh yeah. That, that, yeah. There's so much between eclipse first Comico innovation, and then so many other even smaller press that, that I've never even heard of until I actually pull the book out of a box and say, well, this is interesting. What's this about? And oh yeah, no, you're, you're so totally right. That and, we missed when it when it came out at the time. Well, even even in the early 2000s, when I kind of got back into the in, in, into into comics and going to comic book shops and everything, you know, if you tried to find something like Matt Wagner's Mage or or something like that, you you were you might be out of luck. But now the way things have been republished and reprinted, and there's new, there's more access now. You can find it in the dollar bin somewhere. Yes, um, the, the access across the board, even to like again to 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 indies or small print runs is, is really available. Again, to me, it's, it, again, I don't, I don't want to denigrate for those listening who are hard and fast modern readers. I don't, I don't, um, trust me, I, your books are great. They're your books. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's fantastic. And, and eventually those will be, hopefully my kids' books will be the ones they're reading. Although so I worry about the, the nature of the comic book industry and how it's, you know, not just its sustainability, but it's, it's viability. Really. Right. I mean, I, I, before, because we were going to have this conversation, I played with the inflation calculator online and said, how much would that 1987 book that I bought for 75 cents be today in today's money? It's $2 and 10 cents. Mm-hmm. Now I want creators to get paid. I want them to actually reap the rewards of their creativity. And that was one thing in, in, in looking back at the era in which I grew up and, and, and finding out like things like, like, you know, although lots of people have very strong opinions about him, like the policies like people like Jim Shooter put in place where creators would get royalties based on the sales of their books, um, that they would have some kind of stake in the work that they did. I want people to get, you know, a fair share, but I just can't see the viability of a 20 page story. That's part one of 17 being $5 a pop when Netflix subscriptions are 12 bucks, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's like, if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm working and I, if my kids say, Hey, I want, get me a copy of Superman. I'm going to go, you know what? Let's, uh, you know, let's, 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 let's piece this out a little bit further. Uh, we can get you a whole story here. You know, I can buy a DVD at Walmart for five bucks. Now, some that's just the commercialization of our, of our economy. And there are multiple factors in there, but just the viability of, of floppies, which I adore and I, I prefer reading comic books as single issues. I love the ads. I love the feel of the paper. Um, I love like the order forms for books in the back and going like, Oh wow, you can get 12 issues of this for, for $7. That's pretty cool. Um, I love house ads. House ads are so fantastic in, in old comics. Um, but, and you lose that in trades, but trades are more convenient. I attend to, um, I'll, I'll put a lot of my books on the, in like 
in like, like sleeves and then it, like boarded sleeves in like a binder, like a three ring binder and put them on a bookshelf. So they, they're out of the way sort of not in like long boxes, but I can get to them easily and they're, they can get, they can be read. That's, that's the, the, the collection that I have now of books are meant to be read not, not necessarily to be cherished, but to be not dog eared, mind you, but to be read and, and to enjoy it and, and, and like any other book. Absolutely. So what's your uh, what's your take on on uh, kind of the, the current state of things? And it's actually been like this on and off for a while with the speculation market and professional grading services through third party uh, art, uh, authentication services and things of that nature. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I hey, look, to, to each their own. Uh, and obviously, I, I was reading something recently about about I think it was about uh, baseball cards, how the speculation market is coming back on those. But for very specific like very old tiered stuff because you know much like comics if everybody has a copy of x-men one x-men one's not worth anything but because it's about scarcity but you know i'm all for people who feel like they can they can collect things and have some kind of monetary value down the line I, I just don't know. Like, I can't imagine buying a book that I love that I, that, I, that has a story that has artwork that resonates with me, and then putting it in a plastic slab. Mm-hmm. It just seems kind of, you know, counterintuitive to what that book is meant to be. Right. Obviously, if you want to keep it and collect it, hey, by all means, I I have a, you know, I have one or two things that I have signed, like books or whatever that I try to keep, you know, to the side. But if they need to be read, they they're, that's what they're made to be. They're made to be read. Um, so just buy another copy or something. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. But again, my collection is not, I, I don't really collect like things that are going to be, you know, high priced pieces. There are some like I, I, the one book that I kind of go back and buy older issues of is Captain America. And so uh, some, some of the issues I have in there obviously are, are a little bit more uh, dated, but a, a bag and a board is fine as long as it can be read. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so speaking of, you know, you said if you weren't really going to go back, you, you, you'd go Captain America if you were going to go back and buy really older books. Uh, is there a grail that you have? Is there just that one book you're like, man, you know what? If I saw that, I'd pick it up because that just means that much. Well, is there, if, in terms of like, is there something I, I, that I want to have that I don't have? Not necessarily. If you're if you're referring to something like would I go back into a fire as long as my children are safe and go back and try to rescue, there's a couple things in my collection that I would. Um, so if 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 that's if that's an okay parameter, sure. <laughs> um, sure. One is um, in particular is it's a trade paperback collection of uh, of War Remembrance. It's the Roger Stern and, and John Byrne run on Captain America from the. Uh, I guess probably late or early eighties, I should say, okay. uh, which is just fan, just and, and and I had the pleasure. Roger Stern probably is my favorite. Actually, there's no, there's no question. He's not just my favorite comic book writer. He's one of my favorite writers. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can he could probably write down. A, he could probably transcribe the phone book, and I'd probably find it enjoyable to read. So the way what's the way he book? can take the the way he t- yeah what's a phone book? Sorry. Again, kids, it's it's a it's a dated reference. We'll get we'll get he'll Glenn will get more modern fans on here next time. Well, uh, I'll just publish a glossary to go with this. So we'll do color forms and the yellow pages, and we'll put what's a on. what's a glossary? <laughs> it's called a Wikipedia. A, yeah, Wikipedia entries we'll have for this page. Yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I got to meet Roger Stern years ago at a convention, and I just I wanted to shake. I, I said, "Sir, I just want to shake your hand and thank you." He's like. 
Well, I appreciate that. So no, I really mean it. Your, your stories resonate with me as an adult, as more, as much or more than they resonated with me as a kid and the kid in me loved them too. So you, the, the, the ability to, to affect people across a range of years and, and life experiences really, really, really stuck me. So that's a book that I would, I would, I would grab. And then this is going to surprise you because it's, it's Marvel or it's DC and not Marvel, but I am probably the only uh, fan in America who is, who, who, if you say Starman, I so I say Will Payton, which was the eighties version of Starman. Um, the Tom Lyle, Roger, the, the Roger Stern and Tom yeah, Lyle yeah. version. Yeah. 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 Cause, and for most people listening, is, is, Starman was a very big book in the 90s. Um, uh, James Robinson, I think, was the, yes. the, the writer Tony behind Harris that. And yeah. yeah, yeah, Tony Harris. Um, I don't know what made me pick up this book one day. I just was going through dollar bins or what have you and said, oh, Stern, okay, I'll take a look at this. And the Tom Lell pencils were really sharp. And it is the quintessential. We talked about this earlier about like a Marvel or a marvelization of a character in the DC universe. This is it. Um, and it, it, it's a book that, in my opinion, synergizes that Marvel, for lack of a better word, that kind of sad sack kind of what could happen next to this character, what emotional travails this person, not just physical, but emotional travails this character could have, but painted in on this, in this DC post-crisis canvas, mm-hmm. which which that that period in DC between, if you want to measure by events, I guess if you look between a uh, crisis and invasion or around that period, which really, if we're going to talk about events, my, maybe my favorite comic event actually, just the way I, I remember experiencing that as a fan in real time and how that was presented. What a neat neat uh, crossover! But that era of just creativity and, and openness across the entire um, DC universe. Just a, just a great synergy of a book and just really fun stories, really compelling. Um, absolutely, like to this day, if I want to pick up something, it's just it's it's the book that I keep kind of by itself, keep the entire run cut together. It's it's in a giant binder. It's 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 easy to get to. It's it's really it's I want to say it's almost like comfort food for the <laughs> for the comics for the comic soul, as it were. Just really fun. And again, um, unfortunately. Uh, Tom Lyles passed away recently. Um, who did, who's it, again? Yeah, I believe a, a couple years ago. I want to say a year oh or so gosh. ago, because he had he had been a, he had been really prolific is in, in in like for third party publishers for yeah. the big two. He had done a lot of Spider Man work. I want to say he was it, later in his life he was actually teaching art. I want to say, and which makes sense because his his composition style was so fantastic in his way that he way he assembled panels and and and, and design. Uh, really was was visible in his work, and of course Roger Stern could just weave a narrative with his with his uh, with his words and the way he understood how to how to pace the story, how to bring how to bring those threads long term along, you know. So you had this like undercurrent, this backstory that kind of runs through your through, through your narrative. Just a tremendous. I I can't I can't speak to him now. People are going to go. That, that book stinks, but <laughs> to each his own. Um, but just to me, it's the perfect sy- synergy or synthesis, if you will, between that Marvel and DC style for me. 
I, I definitely remember that title. I had a couple issues when they came out there. I know that there was a, there was an issue that had a uh, firehawk in it from uh, firestorm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And I remember that particular cover and the, the, and you're right. It, it, it's very much had that feeling of here's the new guy trying to figure out his stuff. And and it, it really is compelling, but I think I was a little bit older at that time, so I had already done my time with those new heroes. So I think I was looking for something a little bit different. That said, I do see them in dollar boxes all the time, so maybe I need to go ahead and, and, and give that a shot. Just... And I think I think there's something, Glint, that's so prescient about that. I think it's a lot of times it's the stories you find at a point in your life. Cause when I stumbled upon the, the back issues, I was probably in my early twenties. I was, you know, I graduated from college. I'm, um, you know, I, I'd gotten married young, uh, you know, I'm in a new career and, and you're, you're an adult in, in every way and shape and form, but you don't really feel like, you know, anything under the surface. Like you feel like you're just faking it. Yep. And so when you're reading about a character who literally is, has these tremendous abilities, but just doesn't know, you know, what to do and wants to be good. And, and, you know, he gets his powers. And one of the first things he does, he he goes to his local sheriff's department and says, how can I help? I'm a superhero. And they look at him like, what are you, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) It's just a funny, like, it it makes sense. Like if if I could lift a car over my head tomorrow, what am I going to go do? I'm going to go help people, I guess. Well, how do I do that? Uh, Ask the police. Now, obviously in 2020, might not be the most popular uh, answer for people. That being said, um, you know, it's what would it, what would what would you do with those situations? How would you handle it? How do you relate to your family if this is going? Who do you confide in? How do you explain that you missed deadlines on your work because you were fighting Death Bolt over San Antonio? Uh, you know. <laughs> so I think it's the plot to issue three, I believe. Not spoilers. Um, uh oh. Sorry, I should have mentioned that before. I'll put it you in know, the, read the description. Book. It'll be fine. I I will send the I'll send the twenty five cents back to you if you buy it from a quarter bin and and the story is ruined for you. Fair. Uh, send it care of care of the show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this that 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 book really kind of synthesized. Someone says, "What's a comic book?" I go, "That's it's that. It's 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 this. It's art. It's a story. It's a feeling that you can connect to." Yeah, and again, if I was like sixteen or seventeen, I probably would have said, Psh, "Whatever." Okay, Spider Man. I've read this before. Right. It just it, it just grab it just grabs you, and it even to this day I'll read it and go. It still kind of grabs me. Um, there are there is a, a a subplot uh, that gets tied up at one point. I won't give any spoilers between uh, the character and his father, who is who is um, not in his life for a good portion. He left left his family when he was very young, and just being being a person who experienced that in his own life the 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 fact that you can read a book that can make you smile or make you laugh and and maybe bring a tear to your eye it, it, it you know being able to find catharsis or or relief in in a four color superhero comic book is really the sign of a of an artist and a and a writer who are really at the top of their games so and that's that's what that book really is in my opinion i i would i would definitely agree with you on that and if you can be moved I think it's easier to be moved by music, by a film, by television. Um, for me, at least, I, I, I'm a visual oh, person. Sure. So the the combination of strong quality artwork and then again a, a, a strong writer, um, 
there's been more than a few times in my life that, that I've read a story and at the end of it said, I need a minute. I, I, I just, I have to process what I just read because it was that heavy. And it's not something that I, I, I typically, it's nothing I ever wanted out of a comic book. I, I was more into the bombastic Marvel, mm-hmm. big, crazy, whatever. But every once in a while, you'd get into a story uh, where, you know, the tarantula becomes an actual tarantula man and uh, uh, this huge beastly monster and amazing Spider-Man and, and how his story ends. And it was like, I was telling people about it that didn't care about comic books at yeah. all. It's like, you got to read this. This is, and they're like, what do you, I, I don't care. And it's like, but, but it's because it, it, it hit in some way that was just different. It was just so well done. And there's other examples too, but when it, when it resonates, when it just, it, and, you're, and you're right, I think it's the right book at the right time. I, another example of that for me really, um, and this one I can spoil because everyone and their, and their, and their, their uncle have read it. Um, my favorite Avengers story, if I had to pick a, and it's tough to pick a storyline, but it would probably be the Underseeds, the Masters of Evil storyline. And for those who haven't read it, it, it really is the template for how you tell like a big bombastic superhero story. You know, an army of villains, they take out the Avengers, they destroy their headquarters, they put half of them in the hospital. The Avengers rally back, that's what good guys do. And they win the day. And there's a scene at the end of the book. And you, you probably know what I'm talking about. When someone feels like, what, what panel in a comic touches you? It's this one. And it, it, it's, it's Buscema as, a, as, a, as an artist in in full uh during the story uh baron zemo who's the leader of the of the of the masters of evil his whole reason for this is is to hurt captain america he hates captain america for the death of his father the original baron zemo and so he has he's he's using uh mr hyde and some of his other uh underlings to torture the avengers he's, he can beat up cap and he wants to hurt him emotionally so he has he at one point he has mr hyde beat jarvis the avengers faithful butler and of course it's it's shot in a way that uh hitchcock style where you don't see what's happening you just hear the the act the sound effects and you see cap's face just horrified mm-hmm. um and that always get that always sticks with but the, the end of the at one, part of the part of that torture is he finds captain america's footlocker because cap is a man without a man out of time he doesn't have a lot of stuff and he has a footlocker that he keeps at the mansion that has the few things from the, his his life before he was frozen he has like a picture of his mother and like a a baseball signed by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig that he got when he was a kid because he's from that era. Right. Um. These little like touchstones, all the things, the only things he has. And during the story, like they're just they're, he's just tearing the pictures up in front of him. I'm just like, does this hurt you? Does this bother you? And of course, Caps he's steely and determines like you're not going to break me. Story ends and, and the, the bad guys are captured and, and the Monica Rambeau version of Captain Marvel finds Captain America in the, in the ruins of the, of the mansion on his knees in front of this ruined footlocker with the torn picture of his mother in front of him. And I'm getting a little choked up just describing the story. And he's got a tear rolling down his face. And he's just like, you know, he's like, I kept it in because it's my job. I'm a hero. The paraphrase is going on. But it's like, this is all I had of my past. And I'm already a man out of time. I, you know, everyone I knew is old and gone now. And the one, the, the few keepsakes I had, this monster had to tear them up my face and put my friends in the hospital and, and, and destroy the one place I called home. And 
and, and just, but I'm going to go on because we, it's what we have to do. We're, that's, that's what our job is. And that, again, I'm a 41-year-old man who's got kids and responsibilities and people I manage and degrees in the wall. And I'm getting choked up talking about a kid's comic book. <laughs> but that's the beauty of art when it can really move you beyond just the bombast and the fun and really make you feel for that made up character. And in that moment, you, you, your heart breaks for this person. Mm -hmm. They won the day, but at what cost victory? Right. And just this, 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 again, I, I could talk about it all day. Just if you haven't read it, folks go out of your way, pick it up. It's, it's again, you can find it anywhere, stream it, whatever you do with your books. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think you've already answered the question then. If I was going to ask you about favorite story arc, I mean, we have we have a couple here that you've mentioned, but it sounds like this is pretty much near the, the front of that pack. I mean, the, the Avengers are such a great, it's such a great concept. It's a great, great team. I mean, what, even made me more so than the Justice League. The Avengers always to me seemed like, like, we're to, like, Justice League always seemed like a hangout to me. It's like, hey, we're the biggest heroes. Let's just, you know, this is what we do when we kick around, you know? But the Avengers always seem like, hey, look, there are issues. There are things that are bigger than, than each of us individually. But if we put our stuff together, no one can stop us. Mm -hmm. And so if the, the creative person in me is always like, well, how do you put stories in front of those people? And, the, and that Masters of Evil arc is so well done, so put together. I think it's a, I didn't want to say it's an eight or nine issue run, but really the seeds for it are planted even before then. And, it, and, and of course, it, 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 it actually resonates to another great storyline where the Avengers go to, uh, well, they go to hell. Technically they, 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 they run afoul of the Greek gods due to, due to Hercules's condition, which is another fantastic arc. But that, that, that run of that Stern and, and the Sim and Palmer run is just nothing but hits. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like the, uh, it's like a Beatles album. It's just bang, 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 bang. <laughs> These are all good. But in my opinion, your mileage may vary, but under siege is such a fantastic storyline. And, if you really want to read about the four color Avengers, not the movie one, but the, the, the comic book version and what they, what they're all about that to me sums up that group more than anything. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll have some, uh, some listeners out there that I'm hoping will take away from this episode and other episodes, you know, opportunities to discover new stories, even if they're old stories, new to you kind of stuff. And because mm -hmm. there is a, a wealth is an understatement. Just countless stories that are told with care and expertise. Uh, and it's not just from the big two companies. There's so much stuff out there. And I'll go to my grave defending, you know, those, those small press folks that just want to do good work and, and are just living their dream and doing their best. And there's, there's just so much out there that I think people aren't they're They're not looking for. And they, you really should go back and, and look at some of the older stuff and give it a chance. Yeah, that, that always that's, that's one of the things that always breaks my heart. I'll talk, I'll talk to collectors. They'll go, I, I do nothing, but I collect X-Men or I collect Superman or I collect Spider-Man. And that's fantastic. That brings you joy. Let it bring you joy. But I would never want to do anything hobby-wise that was slavish in my devotions. Like, you know, I have to buy this book. No, if you don't, try something else. Because there are, as you mentioned, there are so many from you know smaller presses independence the big the you know image and dark horse and and you know the the, the marvel and dc and, and and so many smaller presses that no longer exist like valiant or, or things like that or acclaim or all these other companies that kind of sprung up in the in the intervene first 
had a bunch of uh, books back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so many great choices out there. And, and again, I, I don't think a local comic shop's going to mind if you if you if you harvest their dollar bin from them because they they've got to move that product too. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a great message. I think to to wrap up on for sure. Excellent. Well, is there uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add, share, promote? Anything that you'd like uh, our audience to to hear about? Well, you know, I don't have anything to promote right now. I'm actually, um, I've dabbled in, in the podcasting field before. I love this show. It's a fantastic format. Um, I think you're doing a fantastic job with it. I look forward to, uh, I've listened to the first episode, and, and which has already been published now. And I look forward to learning about other other fans and, and, and their, their experiences and what got them into comics and, and uh, their recommendations. I think it's such a neat uh, aspect of, of, of your show is kind of, again, trading off like, well, this is my favorite. So what do you, what, what do you like? It's such a great way of kind of connecting and, and, and bringing this, this, this hobby into the, into the future. Uh, I, I, I'm doing my best. And, and with folks like you that are given, you know, again, coming with a, a wealth of knowledge and experience and, passion and i think that is that's the key it's one of my favorite words in my vocabulary recently is passion if it's something you really really care about you don't have to spend a ton of money on it i mean you can we know this but (laughs) you you can be frugal and you can just you know mine uh and and pan for gold in those dollar boxes and and just find quality stuff to read um listening to recommendations talking talking to friends hitting up the local comic shop Instagram is a great source for me of, uh, of, of trying older stuff. I don't mm-hmm. get into the new stuff so much, except for the, the deceased storyline. Fantastic. Injustice, fantastic. But I love the Elseworlds what if sort of tales where they take characters and put them on their heads and do crazy things with them. I like that stuff because it's at least it has a different feel to it. Um, but yeah, I just dig find new stuff, find different stuff, ask around and, and see what you can find. Um, well, we could go, we we're at almost an hour and I know <laughs> we, we could go much more, but I, I tell you this, if we wanted to do a part two and there were some specific things that we wanted to bring to the table and do a deeper dive, I'd be all for it. Chris, if you're in, into that, we could definitely you know do that another time. My friend, you, you name the time and the place and uh, I will, I will be at the ready. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your your knowledge and, again, for your passion and the joy that you have for the hobby. I appreciate it greatly, and uh, we hope to uh, to you know, keep you in, in the loop and have you back soon. Thank you very much, Glenn. Keep reading. You too. Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview, Chris was a phenomenal guest, great depth of knowledge, and more importantly, great joy for the hobby. And I really do appreciate and respect that. Um, before we go ahead and wrap up, I do want to go ahead and leave you with a book that I found floundering, languishing in a dollar box, but uh, rescued it and was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Uh, this particular title is Tigress, and uh, this is the first issue. This was published by Basement Comics, which was or is home of Cavewoman by Bud Root. This uh, particular book was illustrated by Mike Hoffman and written by Bud Root. The reason why I'm actually talking about this particular book is that really it was the cover, absolutely the cover that got me. And Mike Hoffman was new to me 
until I saw this book. And if you like Frank Frazetta, if you like Wally Wood, then I think you'll really, really enjoy Mike Hoffman. Very much in the spirit of those two artists. And uh, I, I was super impressed. I actually read it again prior to recording this little bit. And again, really impressed. The, the, the writing is solid, uh, but the artwork is just phenomenal. It's, uh, it's all uh, gray tones, so like Zipatone, uh, black and white artwork throughout. Lush line work, very um, reminiscent of uh, a Frazetta. And j even the, just the themes, it's, it's a very 50s, 60s space theme. Uh, gorgeous women, heroic men. There's a little tongue-in-cheek humor, but there's also some real uh, danger and excitement and action. I highly, highly recommend it. If you're not familiar with Mike Hoffman's art, uh, art and, and his, uh, his portfolio, please do yourself a favor. Check him out online and do please search his books out. I think you'll be very, very happy with what you see. All right, that is it for this issue of Secret Oranges, and I do greatly appreciate you listen to, listening to us every week. Uh, we've got plenty more coming. I've actually been loading up on interviews, so we're in this for the long haul. As long as people are listening, I'm going to keep publishing. And actually, if people aren't listening, I'm still going to keep publishing these because I enjoy the conversations. I enjoy learning where people are coming from, what they think about comic books and the, the, the business side of it, the art side of it, the creative side of it, but also just the joy they get from those books. And it, it always makes me happy to hear those, those stories about how they got in, how, why those books just resonated with them, and, and why they take, they, they take up such a special place in so many people's hearts. So thank you for listening. And as always, we'll see you around the spinner rack.